It's good to be back. All right, well, actually, it was, it's good to be back, but it was better last week watching you guys on the beach in Turks and Caicos. Hey, thanks for your kind words. As you know, uh, Laura and I celebrated our 40th wedding anniversary. <clears throat> yeah, we were nine when we got married, both of us. It was a young, young, young age. But, you know, uh, it's so great to be here. It's great to have my brother and his wife and our, you know, nephews and my brother Frank and everyone here. Everyone's up for Thanksgiving, so we're blessed. And pray that your family will be with you or you'll be with your family uh, this week as well. Um, you notice, as, as you heard, Tommy and Tammy are at a conference, so they'll be back next week. But I really want to thank my brother Andres for, for uh, stepping in last week for me and today for Tommy. <clears throat> You know, last week, Tommy kicked off the Servanthood of Jesus sermon series with his message on public service announcements. And today, I'm going to be speaking about what it means to be touched by Jesus and sharing uh, my testimony with you. But before I do, because this week is Thanksgiving, I want to share with you a story I just heard because it was really meaningful to me. You know, there was, it was two days before Thanksgiving, and an elderly man in New York called his son in Atlanta, and he said to him, son... I hate to ruin your day, but your mother and I are divorcing after 45 years. 45 years of misery. It's enough. We're sick of each other. And so you're, call your sister in Chicago and tell her. Frantically, the son calls his sister in Chicago, who explodes on the, on the phone, and she says, like heck, they're getting divorced. No way. And she told her, her brother, let me call dad. I'll call you right back. So she calls her dad, and she says, dad... There's no way that you and mom are getting divorced. Don't do a single thing until I get there tomorrow. I'm calling, your your, yeah, I'm calling my brother back. We'll be there tomorrow. Do not do anything. Do you hear me? Dad's like, okay. So she slams down the phone. The father, the father gets up, looks to his wife and says, honey, I got great news. The kids are coming for Thanksgiving and they're paying their own flights. <clears throat> If you're not laughing, you haven't had kids that you've had to fly back for Thanksgiving. Hey, so let's get back to work here and talk about what it means to be touched by Jesus. You know, a physical touch is a powerful thing. God has given us millions of nerves in our fingers and our hands for touching. You know, I enjoy holding Laura's hand or putting my arm around her. Her touch makes me feel loved and secure and wanted. I love hanging, hugging my children and embracing them and my brothers and sister. And I especially love hugging my, my granddaughter, Clementine. And I love when we have fellowship time here in the building and we get to shake hands and embrace with each other. For those joining on either Facebook or YouTube Live, it's not the same, but I'll give you guys a virtual hug. But get back in the building because it's great to be here. If for nothing else, that fellowship is just amazing. You know, research has proven that babies that are held often, that are caressed and kissed, develop emotionally. There's less challenges in their life. And I heard recently about a man who had no family. He had no friends. He didn't have a church like this one to go to. But he said that he would go to get his hair cut every week just so someone would touch his head. Now, that's physical touch. But there's also emotional touch. <clears throat> And my question to you is, have you ever been touched by something or someone did for you? Something so incredible, you thought it was too good to be true. Or on the flip side, 
Have you ever experienced the, the loss of a loved one or a tragedy? Someone's illness, um, someone's sickness, someone that, that passed away. Or even the emotional touch of watching a, a movie or a TV show or reading a book that brought tears to your eyes. So there's physical touch and then there's emotional touch. But then most importantly, there's spiritual touch. And a spiritual touch is when Jesus reaches out and touches you. Because it's more than physical, it's more than emotional. When Jesus touches your heart and does something amazing, it transforms you and can change your life. Friends, I've, I've been coming to this church for 12 years. My brother Frank brought me here 12 years ago. And I, I was ordained 10 years ago. And my first sermon that I ever gave when I was ordained was called, Why God? And I shared with that the testimony that how Jesus touched my heart. And it's, it's actually difficult to share this now that my family's in the room, but, uh, but I'm going to tell you what happened back on Easter Sunday, 2006. Because my wife, Laura, our three children, Christopher's here today, we went down to Florida to celebrate Easter with my mom and family. And after we attended Easter Sunday service, we, um, my mom and my sister and Laura went to the pool, and my son and my brother-in-law and I, we went to the golf driving range. And while we were there, I received a frantic, a frantic call from my sister saying that Laura was, had been riding her bike and, and uh, had an accident. <clears throat> and all she said, she started screaming, hurry back, it's very serious. An ambulance is called a helicopter and they're going to be medevacing Laura to the hospital. And my heart began racing as, and I drove frantically like an idiot back to my sister's house. And when we arrived, Laura was already in an ambulance and the EMT uh, explained to me that she had hit her head on the pavement really hard, and they believed she suffered a cerebral hematoma, which I had no idea what it was. But he said it was, in a, it was a very serious brain injury, and time was of an essence, and then that's why they sent for a helicopter. So within a few minutes, that red helicopter with the white cross that you see on TV, those, those are real, um, that, that came and you know, landed, and they put Laura on a stretcher, and I went to get in on the, the helicopter, and the guy's like, no, no, you've got to drive to the hospital, which which we did. So my sister, brother-in-law, and I drove to the hospital, which was an hour away. And when we got there, a neurosurgeon came out to me and said that she indeed, they did a CAT scan. She had a cerebral hematoma. It's swelling on the brain. It's very serious. We got to see what happens over the next you know, day or so. So she's in the ICU. Um, the next day, the neurosurgeon looks at another CAT scan and he tells me, he said, the swelling has increased from you know, a, the size of a pin to a golf ball, and it's really serious, and she needs a, to have an emergency craniotomy, which I had no idea what a craniotomy was, but it's brain surgery. <clears throat> he went on to tell me that um, the surgery was going to take several hours, and that he advised that if we were spiritual, he should have a priest come in and give last rites. So for those of you who did not grow up in the Catholic faith, you know, last rites or anointing of the sick is the last sacrament that a Catholic would possibly receive. And it's something that a priest would put oil on someone that was dying or near death to uh, make sure they were absolved from their sins. So being told that kind of freaked me out, as you, could, as you can imagine. I was there with my, with my two sons and, and daughter and our family. And, um, but then he also said to me, he goes, well, if she does survive, the damaged tissue on her brain is what causes uh, 
you know, sight and hearing and, and speech. So even if she does survive, she's probably not going to be able to see, speak, or hear. So this was the prognosis. So I had to go out and tell my, my family that, my children and my wife, and my wife obviously wasn't there, um, but uh, my sister and my mom, and, and my children had never seen me cry before. And as I was trying to stay strong, I broke down and cried, and we were all crying. So just moving, moving forward, you know, I learned while the surgery was taking place that there was a chapel in the hospital. So I went into the chapel, and I was on my knees praying, and it, I just felt so helpless. You know how they say people make a deal with the devil? I cut a deal with God that day. And I don't know how the words came out of my mouth or what I said, but I said, Dear God, I promise you, if Laura survives this, I will serve you for the rest of my life. Didn't know what it meant. I picked up a Bible, opened it up, and I came to Matthew uh, chapter 18, verses 19 through 20, which I'll never forget these words. But the scripture says, Again, I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything you ask for, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. For where two or three come together in my name, there I am with them. <clears throat> so at that moment, it, it, it hit me. You know, if God is with us when two or three come together in his name, what about if two or three hundred come together in his name? So all of a sudden, I had something that I can do. So I started calling my friends and colleagues, and I picked up my laptop, um, and I started emailing everyone that I knew, just telling them what had happened and then asking them to pray, pray for Laura. Now, back then in 2006, Facebook hadn't launched. There was no social media, so it was either voicemail, email, or snail mail. And since I wanted to reach everyone, I chose, chose the first uh, two. But within hours of I sending that out, I started getting email responses, not only from the people that I had emailed, but from their friends, from a couple of churches. And what I realized is that within a day or two, um, this prayer chain had kind of gone globally. People from China and Japan and from Australia and Europe were praying for Laura. And while I was very scared, you know, obviously petrified, those prayers kind of gave me uh, strength. To, to at least knowing that this wasn't in my hands, it was in God's hands. And uh, when, the, when the neurosurgeon came out, he said the surgery had gone as well as uh, expected, but the next 24 to 48 hours would be critical. <clears throat> By God's grace, oh, after you know, two or three days, Laura, Laura woke up and she spoke the names of her children, looked them in the eyes and was, was talking. Uh, her recovery continued. And I just remember the... The, uh, the neurosurgeon coming in and telling me, pulling me aside and saying, this is amazing because I've been doing this for 15 years and I've never seen someone talk after the tissue that I just removed. So, uh, you know, it kind of hit me there, there and now that this wasn't a medical miracle. This was divine intervention. And that Jesus had touched not only Laura and myself, but our family. And if it weren't for that incident, and what took place that saved our family, I, I wouldn't be here because I was the furthest from this building. I lived in Glen Cove. I passed this building 10,000 times growing up as a kid and never noticed it. And now it's, it's my home. So I just want to share that with you. Um, <clears throat> you know, the, the last email I wrote to, to all the friends, I just said, you know, I said, friends, I'd like to thank each of you for your incredible support. Laura's recovery is without question a miracle and a testament to the fact that the Lord our Father does indeed 
answer the prayers of his people. I said, I have no doubt that Laura's miracle was a direct result of your prayers. So for that reason, her miracle is your miracle. And I look forward to having you meet her one day in the future. So friends, there's great, great power in the touch of Jesus. Power to heal all manner of physical infirmities, emotional infirmities. He could heal those and even the spiritual infirmities that are just caused by primarily by sin. You know, during his earthly ministry, Jesus touched many people physically. And as we're going to see, I'm going to go through some scripture this morning, the miracles that he performed. And, and also the fact that he touches people today. He touches us through divine communication, through our Bible studies, through these services like this, by reading the word and by sharing our testimony with each other. So I want to kick off by looking at Luke chapter 6, verses 7 through 19. And it reads... <clears throat> He, meaning Jesus, went down with them, and he had just preached the Sermon on the Mount. And he went down and he stood on a level place, and a large crowd, which was typical for Jesus, were, were uh, following there, and a great number of people from all over Judea, Jerusalem, from the coastal region of Tyre and Sidon, they'd come to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. Those troubled by impure spirits, which was common in that day, were also cured. And the people all tried to touch him, because power was coming from him, and he was healing them all. Friends, everyone who touched Jesus was healed completely of all their illnesses. The touch of Jesus has never, ever failed to give life and health where it was needed. Throughout his ministry, no one that he touched ever died. Anyone he touched was healed. And as we see in scriptures, there was no disease or infirmity that was too difficult for the touch of Jesus. And from a spiritual perspective, there's no spiritual infirmity that the touch of Jesus cannot cure. We know from what Paul tells us that Jesus can even cure the chief of all sinners, of all their sins. So I just want to notice a couple things and a couple of the people that Jesus touched. And the first we're going to look at, <clears throat> and Heidi mentioned this in, a, in the communion meditation, but in Matthew chapter 8, we hear how Jesus touched the, the man with leprosy and healed him. And the scripture says, when Jesus came down from the mountainside, a large crowd following him, and a man with leprosy came and knelt before him and said, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man, said, I am willing. He said, be clean, and immediately the man was cleaned of leprosy. So we don't hear of leprosy, you know, these days. It's not something that, it, you know, you hear about. But in Jesus' time, it was horrible. A leper was sick and rotting. With no hope of healing, he was branded or she was branded uh, unclean, unclean, people shouted. A person with leprosy was the living dead. There was no hope for healing. A person with leprosy had not only lost his health, but he or she had lost everything. Their family, their friends, their home, their possessions, their livelihood. <clears throat> In a word, lepers were untouchable. Uh, it was a disease that could spread. And you didn't go near a leper, and a leper didn't go near you. And throughout Scripture, leprosy serves as a parable of sin. It's an outward sign of spiritual corruption. And I really never realized that until, honestly, I was preparing this week that, you know, sin makes you unclean before God, and so does leprosy. Uh, lepers were unclean and could not enter a village or a camp. Likewise, the same with sin, if we don't repent and accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior. The touch of Jesus healed the leper, and likewise, the touch of Jesus 
heals us of every infirmity. And you know what? God, we pray to Jesus. We pray to God. He doesn't always answer the prayer the way we want. Sometimes He says yes. Sometimes He says no. Sometimes He says not now. You know? And, and when you think about it, He can't answer everyone's prayers. If I want it to be sunny today and a farmer wants it to rain, He can't answer us both. If your team's in the Super Bowl and mine is as well, both aren't going to win. So what's important is that when we pray to Jesus, we trust in Him, we trust in His promise. You know, ju just moving on, though, um, with, with leprosy, the touch of Jesus, as we said, it, it healed the leper. And the Gospels are full of examples, incredible examples of, of how Jesus touched and healed people. If you remember Simon, who was Peter, his mother-in-law laid sick, really sick with a fever, high fever. And in Mark 1, uh, 31, I'm going to read through the message translation. It says, directly on leaving the meeting place, they came to Simon and Andrew's house, accompanied by James and John. Simon's mother-in-law was sick in bed, burning up with a fever. And they told Jesus, and he went to her, took her hand and raised her up. And then no sooner had the fever left in, she was fixing dinner for them. Now, that's a good recovery. You know, I mean, hey, you know, your, your fever, you're, you know, close to death. Not only are you healed, but you could cook me dinner. Um, not bad. Moving on, Matthew chapter 9, verse 20. Um, this is the new IV ver version. We, we hear that how Jesus um, touched the women that had the issue of blood. This is kind of a famous miracle. It says, just then a woman who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years came up behind him. And all she did was touch the edge of his cloak. And she said to herself, if only I touch his cloak, I will be healed. Jesus felt the power leaving his body. And he turned to her and he said, take heart, daughter. He said, your faith has healed you. And at that moment, the woman was healed. You know, now we learn in, in the Bible that the doctors couldn't help this woman. She was beyond human help. And Mark 5.26 Mark 5, says, she had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had, yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. And we know that her disease was internal, caused a great deal of suffering, and it, no doubt it, would have, it was going to kill her at some point soon. And again, the analogy to sin, likewise, it's an internal disease, and it's the root of all of our suffering, both in this life and the life to come. And the doctor, the, the physical doctor can't help. The good works doctor. God Almighty is the one that could heal us spiritually. And that's what we need to do. We need to come to Him and, and pray. In Matthew 20, verses 29 to 35, we read how the touch of Jesus gave sight to two blind men. And it reads, as Jesus and His disciples were leaving Jericho, a large crowd followed Him. Friends, large crowds followed Jesus everywhere. Once the news of His healings came, whenever Jesus was coming to town, there were hundreds and thousands that were, and in this case, there were two blind men were sitting by the roadside, and they heard that Jesus was going by, and they shouted, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. And the crowd rebuked them, which crowds oftenly did, and their disciples oftenly did. And they told them to be quiet, but they shouted all the louder, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. Jesus stopped and looked at them and said, what do you want me to do? And he asked, and then they answered, Lord, we want our sight. 
And Jesus, as he typically did, had mercy and compassion on them. And he touched their eyes and immediately they received their, their sight and followed him. You know, when you think about it, all, all people at birth are spiritually blind. We're blind by, by uh, we don't understand the spiritual things. We don't understand God. We don't understand what we need. We don't understand salvation. I'm saying at birth, but as we grow up, some of us still never learn this. And it's important to understand that what Jesus did in the Bible, he does for us each and every day. You know, I shared with you my story, my testimony. I don't know each and every one of you. I've heard some of them. But each and every one of us have a, a way in our lives that Jesus have touched us and have had us, um, whether it be through a miracle or divine intervention or healing of someone we love. And we heard uh, Andres talked about the river rocks that are up there. Every one of those river rocks represent a critical challenge. Someone was dying or someone had a health issue or someone had a relationship issue. And as a, as a church, we prayed for and Jesus answered the prayer and we... We acknowledge it up there. You know, to me, the most amazing story of all of how Jesus has touched, made a difference, was what he did when he brought the girl back to life. And he did that a few times in the Bible where he brought people from the dead back to life. And in Mark chapter 5, we read that while, while Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, who was the synagogue leader, and he said, your daughter is dead why bother the teacher anymore? And Jesus overheard this. And he told him, don't be afraid, just believe. And he didn't let anyone follow him except for Peter, James, and John. And John was the brother of James. And when they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. And he, wait, he went to them and he said, why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. And of course, they laughed at him. So after he pulled them all out, told them to get out of the building, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went in where the child was, and he took her by the hand and said, Talitha kumi, which means, little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately, the girl stood up and began to walk. Now, she was 12 years old, and the people were completely astonished. You know, the truth is, everyone is spiritually dead by nature. All of us need the touch of Jesus in our lives. And he didn't even, you know, not only did he touch those that were sick and healing, Jesus also touched people that were suffering, who needed help. Just like we suffer and we need help. You know, if you remember when Jesus walked on water and then Peter began to follow him and then began to sink, well, let me just tell you what Matthew says in chapter 14. He says, shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them. This is onto the lake. Walking on the lake, when the disciples saw him walking, they were terrified. And they thought, it's a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. Peter said, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come to you on the water. And then Jesus said to Peter, come. And then Peter got out of the boat, and he began to walk on the water, and he came toward Jesus but he realized what he was doing, and he saw the wind, and he was afraid, and he began to sink. And he said, Lord, save me. And then the scripture says, immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, why did you doubt? Or picture Jesus when he gathered the little children in his arms and blessed them. In Mark 10, we read, one day, some parents brought their children to Jesus so he could touch and bless them. 
But this, the disciples scolded the parents for bothering him. Jesus loved children. And when people, you know, wanted to bring children to Jesus and they didn't, you know, he got pretty annoyed. But he's, he saw what was happening. He got angry with his disciples and he said to them, this is famous, let the children come to me. Don't stop them. For the kingdom of God belongs to those who are like these children. And, and then Jesus said, I tell you the truth, anyone who doesn't receive the kingdom of God like a child, like an innocent child, will never enter it. And then as Jesus would do, he took the children in his arms, he placed his hands on them, their heads, and he blessed them. And one of my favorites of all, and I'm going to lead up to the end here, you know, had to do with uh, Thomas, who we refer to as Doubting Thomas. You know, John... In the Gospel of John in chapter 20, he, he says, Now Thomas, one of the twelve, one of the twelve apostles, was not with the disciples when Jesus first came after being, you know, resurrected. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I, this is Thomas speaking, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and then put my hand in his side, I won't believe. A week later, the disciples were in the house again. Doors were locked. Thomas was with them. And Jesus came and stood along them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand. Put it in my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. And then Jesus said to him, and this is probably my favorite verse in the whole Bible. It says, Because you have seen me, you have believed. But blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. You know, more dramatically than anyone, Jesus allowed Thomas to touch him, and in an instant, all his doubts vanished. Because you have seen me, you have believed. But blessed are those who have not seen, yet believe. Jesus isn't talking just to Thomas. He's talking to you, and you, and you, and me. Blessed are us. We've not seen Jesus, but we believe. That's called faith. You know, if, if, if you look at um, the sermon series that Tommy and I just finished a couple of weeks ago, where we looked at, at the, uh, the book of Romans, the 16 chapters over eight weeks, the overarching theme, if you remember, was salvation is by grace alone through faith alone. Christianity is the only religion in the world where you don't have to do something to earn salvation. In every other religion, whether it be Muslim or Jewish or whatever, you've got to follow laws, you've got to do things. But in Christianity, it's not about us. It's about God. All we have to do is believe. The verse that Tommy and I, and you, you guys probably know it by heart, but Romans 1.16, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God that brings salvation to everyone that believes. So the question is, do you ever find yourself wondering about God? Not whether He can help you. You know He can. He's God. But is there something that you've done in your life? Maybe some sin or some things that you've done that you feel maybe you're not worthy of salvation or redemption. Are you keeping those things like in your closet? You don't want people to know about them. You don't, you're embarrassed. You're ashamed. Well, guess what? God knows everything. He knows more about you, what's in your head, than you know about that. And that's okay. Because Jesus reaches His hands out to us. You know, He not only 
reaches out to us, but he reached his hands out and there were nails put through them and he was crucified for us. And you know what the good news is? The good news is he reaches out to us today, still. And the question is, will we allow him to touch us? Emotionally, spiritually, physically, of course we will. Hey, so before I, before I close, you know, this Thursday's Thanksgiving. And as I was preparing this sermon, you know, I came across a video of President Abraham Lincoln's proclamation of, of thanks to God. Not a proclamation of thanksgiving, a proclamation of thanks to God. And I, and I watched it, and then I watched it again, and I watched it again, and I was blown away. Because I heard it many years ago when I was in elementary school. But, wow, you're going to see it in a minute. It resonated so much more with me. When you look at it, I want you to look at the sim similarities between our country that was divided by the Civil War and where we are today, because the similarities are uncanny. And look at how our society's beliefs were then and now. And you see this. So before I show it, President Lincoln, he delivered it on October 3rd, 1863, shortly after he committed his life to Jesus. He was a man of high integrity, honesty, and character. And he recognized that ultimately every good thing comes from God. And amidst the strife of the Civil War, he said that Almighty God has blessed the people of America. Lincoln urged everyone to thank God and celebrate his merciful and gracious blessings with one heart and one voice. And he was humble. He was humble. He desired to inspire Americans to, to know that it's all about God and that God brings humility and healing to those that love him. You're going to see it right now, but as you, as you watch it, think about how wonderful it would be if someone was saying this to us today other than Abraham Lincoln. It is the duty of nations as well as of men to own their dependence upon the overruling power of God, to confess their sins and transgressions in humble sorrow, yet with assured hope that genuine repentance will lead to mercy and pardon, and to recognize the sublime truth announced in the Holy Scriptures and proven by all history that those nations only are blessed whose God is the Lord. And insomuch as we know that by His divine law, nations like individuals are subjected to punishments and chastisements in this world, may we not justly fear that the awful calamity of civil war which now desolates the land may be but a punishment inflicted upon us for our presumptuous sins to the needful end of our national reformation as a whole people? We have been the recipients of the choicest bounties of heaven. We have been preserved these many years in peace and prosperity. We have grown in numbers, wealth, and power as no other nation has ever grown. But we have forgotten God. We have forgotten the gracious hand which preserved us in peace and multiplied and enriched and strengthened us. And we have vainly imagined in the deceitfulness of our hearts that all these blessings were produced by some superior wisdom and virtue of our own. Intoxicated with unbroken success, we have become too self-sufficient 
to feel the necessity of redeeming and preserving grace, too proud to pray to the God that made us. It has seemed to me fit and proper that they should be solemnly, reverently, and gratefully acknowledged as with one heart and one voice by the whole American people. I do therefore invite my fellow citizens in every part of the United States and also those who are at sea and those who are sojourning in foreign lands to set apart and observe the last Thursday of November as a day of thanksgiving and praise to our beneficent Father who dwelleth in the heavens. I mean, is that not surreal? That'll be on our website. I encourage you to share it with your loved ones. Um, it's, you won't read that in any newspaper. You won't see it on TV. But as, as Christians, it gives, it gives you solace and it gives you peace and power knowing that there was a president that at one time in our country... That was the feeling of the president and the people. And um, by God's grace, our church has that feeling. And I'm just blessed that you guys are here today. So let me just uh, close in prayer. Uh, Father God, we love you. We glorify you. We believe in your almighty power. And we accept your son, Jesus Christ, as our Lord and Savior. Uh, Father God, it's with prayer and thanksgiving. We come to you this morning thanking you for this day. Our church, our family, our loved ones. Everything that you freely provide us. Father, for those that are online and those in the building, we pray this coming week will be a week of love and family and tradition. Father, we thank you for your favor. We thank you for every blessing you bestow upon us. We pray that you would just watch over us, keep us safe and healthy out of harm's way, and guide us each and every day. Jesus, it's in your precious and powerful name we pray. Amen. Please.